You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. You know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in literally just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, which is great because there's really nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek is going to help you get closer to the action for a great value. I used SeatGeek myself last basketball season here in Dallas to get tickets to go see Yogi Ferrell play, and I used them this offseason to buy my wife concert tickets so I can vouch for them from personal experience. They are my go-to app when I need tickets. SeatGeek saves me time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals, and they can do the same for you. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 56th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 361st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, December 14th, 2017. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment, and... Look, we all know times are a little lean for the current uh, Indiana basketball team right now. Wins a little bit difficult to come by as the Hoosiers sit at 5-5. Five and five. So for this week's Banner Moment, uh, we take a look ahead to Indiana's incoming recruits. And I was away. I was out of the country last week. And so the Banner Moment for me really came yesterday as I was reviewing uh, the performances of some of Indiana's recruits over the weekend at the Forum Tip-Off Classic, and then Jake Forrester played at an event as well. And it really sounds like from all the reports, from all the videos that are available, that all of Indiana's incoming recruits really, really played well. You know, Rob Finnessy, Indiana's incoming point guard, showed outstanding scoring ability as he's been showing all season long, single-handedly keeping his McCutcheon team in the game. And, you know, we already know that Rob can be a pass-first distributor, but as a senior this year, playing with a little bit less talent around him, he's really being asked to carry a heavy scoring load, and he's rising to the challenge, which is great to see. Uh, Demise Anderson and Jerome Hunter actually faced off, 
with each guy really showing the wide array of skills that he possesses. Uh, Demizi apparently struggled early, but then really caught fire in the fourth quarter uh, and overtime uh, to help his South Bend Riley team. Uh, and when you watch him play, his ability to get his outside shot off quickly and to score in a variety of ways is impressive, and it kind of makes you wish he could play now because Indiana could use those skills. Uh, and Jerome Hunter continues to show that he's a potential future pro. Uh, that's the kind of potential that he has. Uh, and, you know, again, exactly the kind of player that this year's Indiana team is missing, a tall, skilled wingman who is comfortable on the perimeter and can go get you a bucket when you need one. And it wasn't just those guys. As I mentioned, Jake Forrester, the fourth member of Indiana's class, who was recently bumped up uh, to a four-star prospect by 24-7 Sports. I saw that today. He also impressed at a weekend tournament, and according to Evan Daniels, Forrester turned in one of the more impressive showings this past weekend at the National Hoops Festival. Uh, and so don't be surprised if he ends up you know, as maybe even a top 100 recruit in addition to a four-star guy when it's all said and done. So, you know, look, while the current Indiana team has struggled to turn progress into victories, it's undeniable that the future remains bright for Indiana basketball. And these four recruits, plus Race Thompson, you add those guys to Indiana's already dynamic duo down low with Deron Davis and Juwan Morgan. If both of those guys are back next year, you get improvement from guys like Devontae Green and Justin Smith and others, and brighter days should be ahead as soon as next season. Alrighty, let me now introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, we have a world-renowned bracketologist and the president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, at least on the defensive end of the floor. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the past week in Indiana basketball? Yeah, membership in the uh, fan club is is dwindling uh, after running the uh, the assembly call Twitter account for for you when you were out. I can tell you that uh, membership in the club is uh, is is lowering as we speak. But a I lot of open I'm steads. I'm steadfast in my I'm steadfast in my belief that things will get better. But um, you know, for me, the uh, the little bit of time off between you know finally having a little bit of time between games, not coming as fast and furious, kind of gives you a little bit of a chance to step back. Um, while the record probably isn't what we you know might like it to be, ten games into the season, I think. Yeah, you know, the big thing for me is just the continued emergence of Juwan Morgan. And when you step back and look at these last seven games, um, offensive rating of at least 125 in all of them, uh, you know, scored at least 14 points in all but one, has eight rebounds, I think, in five of the seven, averaging two blocks a game, just doing everything and really, um, you know, continuing to establish himself as a leader. I was um, listening to this evening. Uh, the podcast, the Mind Your Banners podcast with uh, Zach Osterman and Chronic Hoosier. And, and Zach brought up something that Juwan had said over the summer where, you know, leadership wasn't going to be a problem on this team. And they kind of pressed him for further answer and asked him why. And he kind of pointed to himself and, and said that, you know, he was going to make sure that that didn't happen. Um, and I think he's starting to really back that up on the court. And, uh, it, you know, it's an exciting thing to see for him. It's an exciting thing to see him, uh, you know, healthy and really coming into his own. And I think if there's you know, if you, there's certainly some positive things we can point to from the team. And while they haven't been able to string together as many, uh, you know, consistent runs of play as we would like, uh, if, if you look at the most positive thing from what's happened so far, 10 games into the season, it's a uh, pretty easy call for me. And that's, you know, the emergence of, of John Morgan, how well he's playing. So uh, anxious to see him continue that. I think it'll be an interesting matchup for him, uh, probably playing a lot against Bonzi Colson against Notre Dame, which we'll get into a little bit more later. But, uh, you know, another good challenge for him. But, you know, if you're ranking uh, things you're most excited about so far within this season, I know you hit on things, you know, kind of looking forward to next year. I think uh, Juwan is right at the top of that list for me. Yep. 
And to my right, we have someone who once contemplated skipping his senior year of California high school basketball to play in Lithuania before coming to his senses. He's a columnist for The Big Lead, and he is a man who has given me his word that he will not strike personal deals with internet service providers to start charging you to listen to his portions of Assembly Call broadcasts, even though he theoretically could now that net neutrality has been voted down. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant from the past week in Indiana basketball? Don't get me started on the net neutrality thing. Don't. Just don't. It's bad for the audience. Bad for me. Bad for my health. Um, it might be more useful if we spent the next and also, the minutes only talking reason about I net neutrality. Down, but. The only reason I turned down Lithuania is because I can't take the cold. It's the same reason I left Indiana and Milwaukee. I, I just I can't. I grew up in California. I'm, a, I'm an admitted weather wimp. Um, you know, I think that my... I guess I'm excited for the Notre Dame game. I guess that's my uh, focus from the week. I, I, I think that that's an interesting challenge for this Indiana team. Um, whereas Louisville wasn't a great matchup because of the length that Louisville has. I think Indiana can match Notre Dame. The, the question is, can they stay disciplined? Can they execute against Notre Dame? Um, Notre Dame has a lot of really nice players. Uh, I think Matt Farrell and, and Bonzi Colson are the two that jump off the page to you. I watched them in Maui and we can talk about them later. Uh, they won that tournament. It had a really great comeback. Um, and Galen and I talked about that a little bit on the on the postgame show last week uh, after the Louisville game. But I, I think it's going to be an interesting challenge for this team, regardless of the outcome. I want to see how they play against a team that's going to be in the thick of it in the ACC this year um, against one of the better players in the country in Bonzi Colson. Um You know, a guy who is averaging 19.5 points and 9.6 rebounds and quite frankly, he hasn't hit his stride yet from a shooting perspective. Uh, so it'll be interesting, a, a really nice test for this team. Uh, this is a team that can shoot the three. So we'll see if those closeouts have improved, see if the three point defense has improved and we'll see if they can, you know, rebound with this team, if they can play defense, if they can maybe force, uh, the Irish to beat them another way than the Irish want to. And, and that's what I think will, is so interesting about this. And it's a team that, you know, lost the ball state at home. You know, they, they they're vulnerable. This is not a juggernaut, um, but it's certainly a very good team with some really good players. And I'm interested to see how Indiana matches up against those guys, because I think they match up pretty well. Uh, if Indiana plays well, I think that they can match up pretty well with this Notre Dame team. So I'm actually really looking forward to this game. I think usually the Crossroads Classic in the past, I've kind of looked at it with trepidation, like, oh, God, how are we going to screw this up? Um, you know, because we usually don't play well at Bangers Life Fieldhouse. I, I you know. This is something I, I, I'm actually really interested to see. I, I think usually entering these games, I'm a little nervous about, you know, what what's OK, what's going to go wrong this time. But I, I'm kind of interested to see this game. It's a new era, Ryan. It's a new era. It is. It's for everybody. All right. So here's what we're going to discuss this week. We'll talk a little bit more about the importance of this upcoming IU Notre Dame game. We'll do a little bit of stock up, stock down, talking about Robert Johnson and Zach McRoberts. We will get some insight from Andy's lineup analysis. And we got a great question from a listener this week, which former Hoosier we would add to this year's roster, which I think is going to make for an entertaining discussion. We'll talk about that. We've got some other questions in our audience Q&A. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Now, this quick reminder before we move on. The next time that you're looking for tickets to a sporting event or a concert, remember our friends at SeatGeek. And you can download their app, which is incredibly convenient and easy to use. Or if you just want an easy-to-remember URL that will take you directly to the IU basketball ticket listings on SeatGeek's website specifically, here it is, iutickets.shop. That's the URL. 
So, for example, do you want tickets to one of Indiana's three games over holiday break? Fort Wayne, Tennessee Tech, and Youngstown State, I believe. Uh, They're currently as low as $7. Or do you want to plan ahead and get tickets for an upcoming Big Ten game for later in the season? IU basketball tickets make great stocking stuffers for the Hoosier lover in your life. So check out the latest ticket deals on the SeatGeek app or at the URL iutickets.shop. And if it's your first time using SeatGeek, don't forget to use the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. Use it when you make that first purchase, and you will get $20 back after that purchase. Again, the promo code is ASSEMBLY in the URL iutickets.shop. All right, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, let's talk real quick a little bit more about this upcoming Notre Dame game. And, and Andy, I want to ask you this, our resident bracketologist, talking about the importance of this game. Can you construct a reasonable scenario where IU gets an at-large bid without winning this game? given that you know all the other opportunities to get a big non-conference win have gone past, Indiana hasn't taken advantage. Is there a reasonable scenario where the Hoosiers get in without beating Notre Dame? Uh, not, not that I could see. I mean, at this point, you know, they've, they've missed any opportunity to really get a, a marquee win in the non-conference. And then you add on top of that the Indiana State loss, which um, you know, they haven't played particularly well since beating IU. So that one, you know, while it's a little bit further in the rearview mirror, isn't gonna isn't gonna look any better uh, as things go forward. And so, you also then look at the Big Ten, where everybody, you know, the conference as a whole has not played all that well in the non-conference. So, it it limits how good even in-conference wins can be. And so, I think it turns into a scenario where they would need to win, you know, so many Big Ten games, and particularly so many on the road, as as they've kind of changed how wins are classified in the process this year. Where, you know, in in one bucket you have uh, you know, wins against, you know, certain, you know, teams ranked, you know, one to, to whatever at home uh, and teams ranked, you know, something to it's something else. I, I can pull up the numbers later. But, um, you know, it, the way they bucket those wins are just it just becomes really difficult. You'd have to do so much better in Big Ten play than I think is reasonable to expect at this point that it, it becomes a pretty tough argument versus if they win. Uh, you've got three winnable non-conference games, and even opening at Wisconsin seems a little bit less daunting now than it did in the past. Um, and so you could really you sure get together pr- pretty well. Well, it depends if their you know referees are calling you know nonsense fouls at the end of the game like they did last night. But that's neither here nor there. Um, and so yeah, so you know, so maybe you could get on a little bit of a run and, and do that. And even one out of conference win uh, like this would be really helpful on a neutral floor. So uh, it, it's. It's pretty important, uh, I think, for a number of reasons, but certainly not the least of which is is any kind of, you know, lingering at large hopes that that this team harbors, which are are pretty slim at this point. I would say someone just posted something funny in our chat. It says, "Can we call bracketologists bracketeers now?" Makes Andy and the like less nerdy. I kind of like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bracketeers hey. instead of bracketologists. I'll take what, I'll take what I can get. The new the new <laughs> classifications are home games. The one column is home games teams ranked one to thirtieth, neutral court against one to fifty, and road games one to seventy five are kind of like the top tier uh, of wins, and then they kind of cascade from there into into four different groups. So got to love arbitrary endpoints. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't know how 30, 50, yeah, whatever. Um, but anyway, so you know, a lot of the road games in the conference could probably fall into that one to seventy five range. So. You can pick up a number of good wins there, but it would certainly be helpful to have a, a one of these non-conference ones. That while they've certainly scheduled relatively aggressively with the, you know, kind of those big four games that they had to go. You know, it's one thing to schedule four tough games, but it's another to go zero and four in those games. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's uh, we'll talk some more about this game as we move through this uh, this week's episode of Assembly Call Radio. But let's move ahead now to our next topic and do a little stock up, stock down coming up on the Assembly Call and talk about Robert Johnson, Zach McRoberts and others. That is next. Stick with us. Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the Script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it, and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-host on The Assembly Call IU postgame show. And don't forget, if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can join our live Thursday night broadcasts or watch the video replays by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. So, gentlemen, let's do a little stock up, stock down, and let's start with the stock up. And let's talk about a guy who, you know, despite Indiana's struggles, has really, you know, seen his playing time increase and, and seen his role increase and, and has been one of the brighter spots recently for Indiana. Uh, and that's Zach McRoberts. And he's not a guy, obviously, who is stuffing the stat sheet, not a guy who's going out scoring a lot of points. But it is quite clear that he has the trust of his coach. And Archie Miller has talked a lot about Zach McRoberts this week. He has been effusive in his praise of Zach, talking about how, you know, he's a guy that you can just count on. You know, he knows that he can trust Zach when he's out there, that he's going to do the kinds of things that he's asking him to do. He's going to be in the right place on defense. And he's going to make hustle plays. And that's why Zach played 15 minutes against Louisville. It's his third straight game playing 10-plus minutes. And it's become clear that he's now ahead of Freddie McRoberts. Swain and Justin Smith in the rotation, just looking at how the minutes have been doled out, you know, and, you know, so when you look at the pluses, the things that Zach brings to the table, he's obviously solid on defense. He's done a nice job rebounding. And then I think the most important thing is he's just, he's been creating turnovers basically with hustle and smarts and his steal rate of 5.3% is actually more than double the next highest guy on the team. So again, not a guy who's scoring a lot, but still a guy who is contributing in a lot of ways, earning a lot of minutes, and I think we should expect that to continue. And I guess the question that I have about that is, I think it's right at this point. I think Zach should be playing. I think he's earned it. Is that a good thing long-term for this team? Uh, and Ryan, I'll be curious to get your thoughts on that first. Is it a good thing that Zach McRoberts is getting a lot more minutes now? Yeah, because I think he's going to push the other guys. Um, you know, Justin Smith has to get better if he wants to play. And I realize Justin Smith's a freshman. He's probably going through a low right now. I love what he brings. We've talked about him endlessly. But, um, yeah, I think the best player should play. I don't care about the future. I don't care about any of that stuff. And I guarantee you some of the seniors on the team don't care about the future. They want to win now. And that's what you do. And and by doing that, Archie is 
setting a precedent that the guys who play the hardest and the guys who contribute the most are going to play. I'm not just going to play you because of your star rankings or, you know, how many years you have left in the program. I'm going to play the guys who deserve to play. And and I think it's such a great precedent. And, and it also tells guys like Justin Smith, who may be playing as hard as he thinks he can, it may tell them, hey, you know what? There's another gear you've got to find. And, and you know, I'm sure they're talking to him about that. Like, you know, you may think you're going 100 percent. But what you think is 100% may really be about 70. And, and you've got to find that extra gear. And you've got to find that you know extra work ethic that you have. Um, and that's not to say Justin's not working hard. I'm just saying that there's a guy, as an example, Zach McRoberts, who will dive on the floor at the drop of a hat, who will, you know, is playing smart basketball, is always in the right position defensively, uh, is rebounding pretty well. Uh, he's not scoring. We've talked about it. He's Colin Hartman basically without a jumper. I mean, he does all the little things. He just can't he isn't really an effective offensive option um it'd be nice if he could hit a three now and then hint hint to zach it's something to work on um but if you know if if he's playing it shows the other guys that you know what talent isn't the only thing that's going to get you on the floor what's going to get you on the floor is hard work and 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 you know knowing the playbook and knowing where you're supposed to be defensively and being responsible when you're on the floor that's going to get you in more than uh, than just pure talent. And I think it's a great message to send, especially for the young guys. Now, look, you can say you're not building to the future by playing Zach McRoberts. Well, you know what? I think it helps build for the future because it shows the guys, hey, you know what? The guys who work the hardest are going to play. I don't care how many. Again, I don't care about your star rankings. I don't care whatever. You get on the floor by how you practice and and how hard you worked in the game and how you help the team, not by what your last name is. It sets your standards and establishes your culture. And there's no question about it. I absolutely believe that. And, and I'm, I'm, I think it's more important to do that this year, yeah. in his first year, than it would be next year or the year after. I think it's very important because you know what? Kids around the country are going to see that too. And they're going to say, you know what, if you work hard, I don't care if there's a five star ahead of me. If I work harder than him, I can play. Yeah, no. And I'm glad that's the angle that you took with it, because that that's what I wanted to get to is I think you could make the argument that it might lower this year's ceiling to have Zach McRoberts playing so many minutes because he is limited offensively. You know, you would I think you would rather all things being equal. He'd rather a guy like Justin Smith be getting those minutes because of his athletic ability and his size. And you expect him to be able to do more things. But if he's not earning it then I'm glad that Zach McRoberts is earning it because of those things, because that's what this program needs to be built on. Uh, Andy, your thoughts. And I know the lineup analysis that we'll get to in the next segment, but just kind of teasing that, you know, Zach McRoberts found his way at the top of a lot of those lists, you know, in terms of plus minus and, and the best lineups. He was in a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, the, the plus minus in particular, even if you even if you kind of dial it back to just the, you know, the top four uh, opponents that, are, that have been played, I mean, he's... He's the best one of the guys who are really in the rotation. Now, that being said, he's he's a minus one in aggregate in those games, which, you know, you've lost all four of those games at this point. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's hard not to it's hard not to argue that that the team has done well with him on the floor, even despite his offensive limitations. When when he's out there, the, the lineups that he's in are are competitive. Um you know, it's easy to sit there and say, hey, this is a team that already struggles offensively. Is this a guy I can afford to have out there for a lot of minutes? It's a fair argument, but um, the reality is that he's he's making things happen. He's making the kinds of plays that, you know, Archie expects. And, um, you know, I think to see that rewarded uh, is certainly a testament to him. And we saw that from him at times last year um, when he would come into games and really, you know, be in, be in the right spots and, uh, and make good plays. And 
I, I think he's continued to do that. So it's a positive for him. I think it, as you said, it establishes the culture of, uh, of what's expected and that everybody's kind of got a clean slate, you know, walking in the door, uh, particularly this year. And, and he's played well enough to, uh, to earn minutes. And while he's been out there, I think he's played well enough to keep him. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. You're listening to the assembly call. So that was our stock up for Zach McRoberts. Now let's do a little stock down and go to Andy with like, this one. This, this pains me. I didn't, I didn't really want to go here just because it kind of feels like piling on. And I mean, we talked about this on podcast on the brink, pretty much every IU show is talking about the struggles of Robert Johnson, especially coming off a game against Louisville where I don't know who it was on the post game show, Galen or Ryan, who said it was a reverse James Blackman where, you know, he played really good defense, but that, contributed nothing on offense, which was, that would be me. Yes. Unfortunately, a, a very good description, but, Look, here's the thing with Robert. We know that he's struggling this year. You know, his offensive rating is basically right where it was as a freshman. His assist rate right now is the lowest it's ever been by a lot. His three-point percentage is seven points lower than his career worst, which is last year. The problem is those numbers don't actually tell the real story because where Indiana really needs Robert Johnson is in its biggest games. That's where you need your most experienced player to really be able to step up. And he is defensively, there's no question. And that's why he's still getting, you know, playing 88% of the minutes or however many minutes he's playing. And he's clearly working hard. Archie talked about that in his radio show uh, earlier tonight on Thursday night about how he's never seen a guy in the gym working as hard as Robert. Unfortunately, it's just not helping the production in Indiana's biggest games, which is where Robert is so sorely needed. Because in IU's four toughest games this year against Seton Hall, Duke, Michigan, and Louisville, here are the numbers. He's one for 13 from three, obviously much worse than his season average. His assist rate is 7.2%, which is just, I mean, almost shockingly bad for a guard who plays as much as Robert does. His turnover percentage is 23%, which is much higher than it is normally. His offensive rating overall is 69.7, which is, I mean, that's just unspeakably bad. Now, on the bright side, his two-point percentage is good, but he only has 21 attempts in those games, so he needs to get more. For the listeners out there, tell them what an average offensive rating is. About 100. About 100 is what you want. And what is, where's Robert at? his is 69.7. So okay. just so you, again, his for the season, it's 101.3. And for him, that's a big step back from where he's been the last two years. And in those four games, it's 69.7, just to give you kind of a comparison. So, you know, Andy, as I look at that, I mean, if Indiana is going to win big games starting Saturday, it just doesn't really seem like there's a formula for that happening without Robert playing well on both sides. And he is on defense. We've been giving him credit for that. But at some point, he's going to have to step it up offensively in the big games, or Indiana's just not going to be able to win any of those. Yeah, just one other number using the plus-minus in those games. He's a t- in those four games, a team worse, minus 62 in those four games. Um, so, yeah, even for the the president of the fan club, hard to hard to put anything, uh, you know, hard to hard to put a you know lipstick on that at, uh, at that point. But you know, it, he we've seen the way that Miller has used him thus far. And and there's no reason to suggest that he's not going to continue to to get big minutes. If it hasn't changed now, I don't see it changing going forward. I think, you know, well, it, know it ties it ties back. Defense is going to get you on the floor in Archie's system. I mean, yeah. so he'll get on the floor for that. I think. Yeah, but it, you know, and, and I think what you saw in the in the Louisville game was, you know, there was a a play that I think is emblematic of just how kind of fleeting his confidence is it was it was in the first half of the game there was some 
I forget who the defender was. It might have been Deng. Started clapping at him like an idiot. Then Johnson drove right around him uh, as soon as that. So kind of had that burst of confidence. Drives right around the guy. Then gets called for a, a charge, which I thought was probably a bogus call. But I think, as I tweeted out, Ted Valentine had already started his wind-up to make the call. So he couldn't he couldn't back out of it at that point. But, um, you know, and from that point forward, he didn't really even look at the basket. And so you saw a guy who was like, a guy kind of challenged him, uh, drives right around him, and then just because things don't go well there, he kind of went into a shell for the rest of the game. And I think that, you know, I think that small sequence just shows where he's at from a confidence standpoint, because he didn't have any assists. He didn't have, he didn't have any points and he just didn't really look to be an aggressive part of the offense, even though he did in that one moment and it didn't go well. And just like that, it was gone. Yeah. And look, I mean, we've been seeing it, you know, his shot has just looked different. His mechanics look different. His confidence looks shot. I guess if there is one, bright side if you're really squinting to try to see the silver lining it can't get much worse and if he gets better if his production goes up it's really going to help indiana in these tough games that they have so that has to be a part of the formula for indiana getting big wins coming up is robert johnson starting to play better and starting to shoot better so coming up in our next segment on the assembly call we're going to dive in more to that lineup analysis that we just talked about and give you some insights from that plus more that's coming up stick with us You are listening to the Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now or whenever it's convenient to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then you really need to be on our newsletter list because you will get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails. It is all free and it will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. Again, the URL is assemblycall.com slash join. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-hosts on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. And Andy, uh, part of that postgame analysis email for a long time was your lineup analysis, which we started several years ago during the Tom Crean era. Uh, I feel like when it first started, it was kind of a joke just because, you know, was, we were always talking about the substitution patterns and there were so many lineups. And so it was yep. born out of rage. Yeah. I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves. So I think that's really where it started from my perspective. The first time I looked at it, there was a game that I was I was just I just couldn't understand what had happened, so I looked into it and you know, here we are this this much later and continue to do it. Yes. Yeah. So so this year we're not actually including that in the post-game analysis email. We have a whole bunch of other new stuff in there. Uh, but you're still doing it on your own and, and every now and then we want to come back with some meta analysis of this um, because this is something that we've often tracked and when you sent me over the analysis via email the first thing that jumped out was just the number of lineups <laughs> that have been used uh it, it was it's a lot less than it was last year yes just a little so this is one of those things where i don't always have it readily available for the you know kind of how it compares because that's one of these things where this is hard to put into context so so to this point so through 10 games i didn't include the exhibition games uh, there have been a total of 92 different lineups. So those could have been used once. They could have been used 10 times, but there's 92 unique combinations of players. And so I look back at when I tracked it last year and through the first 10 games of last season, there were 163 that had been used. So uh, not quite cut in half, but pretty close. So um, definitely, definitely have seen some differences there. And I mean, I think you continue to see that where the rotation is uh, while, while guys kind of move in here and there and McRoberts has earned minutes, as we talked about, like there really haven't been a lot of games when, uh, when upwards of eight, you know, much past eight guys have really gotten what you call significant minutes in the game. And I think that the numbers there bear that out. 
Which kind of matches what it feels like watching it, though. It, it feels like the substitutions are less frantic. It feels like, to me anyway, that for the most part, even though we've seen a couple of Mick lineups with McSwain and McRoberts in there, which I've always had a problem <laughs> with. But other than that, it, it, it has seemed like there's been kind of some rhyme or reason, even though Archie is still kind of learning, you know, learning all these players. Um, so that, that seems like one difference, at least, from what we're, what we're used to. Yeah, I, I would agree. And so, you know, one of the other things I did, which I think leads into um, some other analysis that you had done, was kind of look at not not just the overall plus minus of what's there, but kind of looking at that on a per minute basis. So trying to normalize that a little bit for how guys have done. So, um, you know, Colin Hartman really, even in raw numbers, stands out above everybody else at, at plus 35 as the best on the team. Um, but the guy who's right behind him is Devontae Green at a plus 20. And he actually... Um, and McRoberts is, is third and those, those three are kind of the same. Even if you look at it on a per minute basis, they're still the top three. It's just McRoberts is second and, uh, and green is third. So I think there's uh, some things Devante related that you wanted to, uh, to hit on that tie in pretty well with this. Well, yeah, you know, we talked in the last segment about Robert Johnson and how he is really playing a lot worse in Indiana's toughest games. And Devante is playing better in Indiana's toughest games. So in Indiana's four toughest games, his offensive rating actually jumps up. It only jumps up to 99.3, but you know normally his offensive rating is 95.1 in all games. So he's at least playing better in those games than he is in other games. His assist rate is better. His turnover rate is better. Uh, and so you know, look, he's a guy who obviously didn't get to play a lot in the Louisville game. And Archie mentioned you know some little things, some mistakes that he made that kept him off the court. But you know, in addition to Robert Johnson playing better, being part of the formula for Indiana winning some of these bigger games. I think Devontae Green staying on the court and staying on the court because he's earning the trust of his coach is important because Devontae Green can make the kind of plays against better competition that other guys have been unwilling or unable to make. And I think what we've seen just in the numbers, both in the plus minus and, and in some of those efficiency numbers, kind of bear that out. Um, so hopefully he can start to get more minutes in those games because I think that'll be important for Indiana. Yeah, if you if you look at I looked at the the kind of five toughest games so far, so it includes the you know four of the losses plus Iowa. Um, he you know Hartman and Green are the only guys that are positive and plus minus at all. Uh, and if you just look, I tried to narrow down the lineups, the ones that were used. What I felt was a, a you know kind of a meaningful amount, which was you know lineups used at least four minutes combined across those games. Um, the top four on a per minute basis, Devontae Green was in every one of them, um, and so there were some a number of other guys who were in three of the four. Uh, but he was the only guy that was in all of them. So, again, kind of speaks to, you know, when he's playing well, this team tends to be playing well. And I think that goes back to a little bit of what we've said before, where he can just do things that other guys on this team can't do uh, on the floor when he's really, you know, kind of harnessing that in a positive way for the team. And the other thing to hit quickly is, you know, it's kind of surprising that Deron Davis wasn't in more of the most successful lineups, I thought. Yeah, he. I tried to look over the course of the entire season. Um, there were 20 lineups out of that 92 that had played at least five minutes. Um, and so just tried to look at those on a per-minute basis. And if you look at the top, I think I picked the top seven. There was kind of a, a drop-off point, uh, or six of them actually, a, kind of a drop-off point where, you know, really kind of, you know, those those were kind of a clear-cut top six. Like he was only, Duran was only in one of them. Uh, and it speaks a little bit to, and he was in four of the the worst six there. Um, a lot of the starters were in four of the worst six. A lot of those, I think, came uh, in in times when they, uh, you know, those guys started the games. We talked about the slow starts and things like that. But um, you know, one of the things we were talking about during the break that that Ryan brought up was he was surprised how few minutes uh, Duran was playing. So 
I don't think he's playing so few minutes as a function of the lineups that he's in not being effective. Um, but it's an interesting combination that, um, you know, he's not playing as many minutes as I think everybody would hope, want, expect. Um, but he's also, when you look back at lineups that have been effective, he's not routinely a part of those either, which is a little bit weird because when you think about some of the, the best stretches of play, it's been when they've really played through him and he's done really well. So kind of an interesting, you know, numbers don't back necessarily back up what your eyes feel like they see in those cases, but um, in some cases it's easy to focus on those positive stretches where he was just dominant versus the others where maybe he wasn't. All right, this is the portion of the segment now where we need to wake Ryan back up, bring him bring him back with us here. <laughs> You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Uh, but thanks for doing that analysis, Andy, and we'll keep coming back to it as we go throughout the season. Um, but I want to get to this question from Alex, uh, Alex France, one of our longtime loyal listeners. I think it's a really fun question. So his question is, if you could add one IU player from a previous roster to this team, who would you add? He says it doesn't have to be a star. It could be a glue guy or a shooter, for example. Just a fun question, uh, but on the serious side, the answer could reflect current playing and future recruiting needs. So as I read this, I kind of took it you know, to mean more of a role player type because you know, it would be really easy to just say, well, let's add Calvert Chaney to it or let's add Walt Bellamy or let's add Yogi Ferrell to it. Um, and I kind of took it to be a little bit more from a role player perspective. And I think all three of us may have taken it a little bit differently. Uh, but let's just let's kind of roll with it um, and see what we all chose. So, Ryan, why don't you tell us first? Uh, I'm assuming you're taking 2006 Marco Killingsworth to add to the team. No, I passed on him, actually. Um, so we kind of went. What was it? A starter level or role player guy? Non All-American. Yeah. Uh, OK, I've got three guys i'm considering um all three could shoot the ball don't, so i think you know where that. i'm going don't take uh, so i think you know where i'm going with this um given the problems in the backcourt i would go with jordan halls uh um, i know he i know he had his limitations uh but that guy could shoot the lights out and spread the floor and it was dangerous whenever he got the ball one of the greatest three-point shooters in iu history um i considered two other guys and they were max bielfeldt and uh, Nick Zeisloft, because I think you need shooters on this team. You just don't have it. And and even if they don't play very much, the ability to stretch the floor and a guy like Bielfeld with and, and Zeisloft with their leadership and all that stuff. But Jordan Halls was a guy who, you know, was dangerous. I mean, as, as Dickie V used to say, when he would get open, it's like a layup from three. And, and that was kind of who he was during his IU career. So that's where I would go with it because I think that we could use some shooting from the backcourt. And I think the front court is fine. I, I think really the backcourt and the guards need some help right now. Interesting. See, Bill felt was mine. Um, because, uh, because of what you and said, I totally was, get that. Yeah. Because of what you said, was, uh, I actually feel like Max Bielfeldt would just be perfect on every roster. Like if you just threw pretty much like, throw him on yeah. the 93 roster and Alan Henderson gets hurt and you've got Max Bielfeldt there providing depth. Like he, you know, on and on. If, if every roster just had Max Bielfeld, we'd be fine. Um, but I agree. The shooting, you know, and also with Deron Davis only playing about 50% of the minutes. Now you've got a guy like Max Bielfeld who could take more of those minutes. Um, you know, and he's just obviously a smart, savvy player. So, uh, but I, Hall's a good one. I didn't even think about him, but I think that's a really interesting choice. Um, Andy, who did yeah. you go with? undersized guard had struggles defensively, but I think this team is strong enough defensively to make up for that. And, and I think that they could spread the floor enough where it wouldn't matter that he was shorter. Yeah. I'm going to give two answers. One, one I came up with before you arbitrarily imposed your interpretation of the question on the rest of us. I didn't arbitrarily. Alex France in the chat said that my interpretation was his. So it's, it wasn't well, that, arbitrary. <laughs> it doesn't. 
well, you didn't know that when you said it, so that doesn't. That's neither here nor there. Uh, actually, the guy that I thought of in that was Jay Edwards. Um, oh, well, yeah. For, I didn't see that. Yeah. For, well, I mean, you just think about it. it. Would be easy to say Cheney, obviously, but you know, for me, Edwards was a guy who you know got to the free throw line almost 200 times in his sophomore year, made you know tons of threes. Um, could could really have you know because I think while it's easy to say that we don't that we're we're kind of going away from picking a star like this team needs a star this team needs a guy who's going to demand the ball in a late game situation and go get you a bucket so that's you know again um, so if if we go with what we said before I would have picked holes um, and as much as it pains me to to agree with Ryan on anything really just you're just um, totally jumping on my back on this one but again yeah. I, I one thing about holes also great on the free throw line. And that's something this team needs. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the threes that were missed in the second half of that Louisville game, they were not contested for the most part. So if you're running offense in a way that is going to get guys wide open shots, there is nobody from the Korean era that would be on the receiving end of a pass for a wide open shot that I would rather have than Jordan Hulse. So um, that to me, once once I reined that in, that was actually I, I almost didn't think of anybody else. I think Zyslav would be uh, would be interesting. But I think this team can kind of get by and mix and match things in the front court. I think what they're really lacking with the way they're struggling to shoot the ball right now is just a, a dead eye shooter and, and Holes is the guy from the Korean era that fits that bill the best. Well, those are really good. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about Holes. I thought about Zeisloft. Um I mean Yogi was kind of the obvious one that, that came to mind if you were going to choose anybody from the recent era, just because this team needs a guy like that who can kind of take over. Yeah. But, you know, if you remove him, I think Holes, Holes is a great choice. The other guy who I think would be interesting would be Troy Williams. I mean, he may drive Archie Miller just, you know, absolutely <laughs> crazy on defense. But just in terms of a guy who could just go make something happen and do something at the end of the shot clock and go get a shot, I think Troy they would have been an interesting need that one too. too but, yeah. you know, obviously he wasn't a great shooter, so you wouldn't add that. But he would add an interesting element, and I'd sure like to have him for a Notre Dame game at the Crossroads Classic, that's for sure. We remember what he did uh, a few years ago in that game. Yes, that would that would be fine. Holes Holes is young enough looking where if we could, I mean, get a recruiting service to like make up some kind of you know weird profile. Jordan Jones. He could, he could clearly he could clearly pass for a guy who's still in college. I feel like at this point. So, uh, okay. So I think we I think we have a winner. I think Jordan Holes is the winner. I think that was good. Uh, it'd be great to get everybody else's thoughts. So let us know in the chat uh, if you're here live who you would pick. And then shoot us a tweet at uh, Assembly Call and let us know as you're listening to this who would be the guy that you would pick. Uh, our official pick is Jordan Holes. Um, we gave you our other thoughts, so let us know. Uh, let us know who you think would be a good choice. Alrighty, let's. Uh, we got some other really good questions, and so let's get to those in our upcoming segment uh, here as we uh, continue rolling on Assembly Call Radio. Answer some more audience questions. That's coming next. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-hosts on The Assembly Call IU postgame show, wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. Uh, and Andy, before we hop into a few additional audience questions that we have, I just want to get uh, any lingering thoughts that you have on Notre Dame, just in terms of kind of your scouting report on them. Uh, you know, Ryan mentioned some things off the, off the top of the show, especially their vulnerability. You know, they lost to, to Ball State. Um, what are your thoughts on Notre Dame, and what do you think are the chances of Indiana's uh, the, that Indiana can go up and get a big win? Uh, you know, I mean, they're kind of what a, a Mike Bray team has looked like in the last few years. Really efficient offensively. They're seventh in the nation now. Got off to a good start. I think Ryan was there for the best game they played when they beat Wichita State. 
um, came back to to get thumped at Michigan State as part of the the Big Ten ACC. And then, you know, they did lose to Ball State, which I believe is just further proof that in-state, you know, in-state, uh, you know, major conference teams from Indiana should not schedule uh, others. I mean, Ball State, I think, is going to be one of the better teams in the MAC, but but not a game. Obviously, you'd expect Notre Dame to lose at home. They just haven't. I mean, Wichita State, Michigan State, really the clear-cut two best teams they've played. So, um, not a ton to take away from that. Don't have and a deep rotation, which is pretty typical for. Can for I throw me. something in real quick? They yep. were down sixteen to Wichita State. That looked like it was going to be a blowout, and they had a great comeback. So, but I mean, they were probably one or two missed threes at the wrong time away from getting blown out by Wichita State in that game. So maybe it's a little different. Yeah, they came back against uh, Michigan State a little bit as well, like early in the second half. I think they faded a bit down the stretch. Um, not super deep. Um, they don't really don't really play. Um, you know, play six guys play the the vast majority of their minutes. You know, maybe seven. Uh, the one number that should terrify all IU fans at this point is their eleventh in the nation in three point shooting percentage. So, uh, I'm just gonna just gonna kind of leave that there and let everybody try to cope with that as best they can over the. Has next, that been a problem? Has that, has that... Over the next over the next forty eight hours, and we'll see how that goes. So, um, I mean, that's really the the big thing. They've been they've been really strong offensively. Colson and, and Farrell are the really the two guys to watch um, to watch there. But I think. You know, IU, if they continue to play well inside, maybe a chance to get Notre Dame in some foul trouble. They have not put opponents on the free throw line. Uh, it's really the best thing they do defensively is, is have a low free throw rate. So, um, you know, if IU can get them into foul trouble, there's not a lot of places they can turn. I think that's a big one. Uh, IU's been on the receiving end of some of that foul trouble. Hopefully they can turn the tables a little bit there and, uh, you know, have a little bit better luck with opponents not making every three-point shot they take. All right, so let's get into a few of these questions, and we'll hit them hit them kind of quickly. The first one is from Jordan, and he says, as the non-conference winds down, and with what you know about the team, what realistically constitutes a successful season? I kind of feel like this question would be a little bit better after the Notre Dame game, because at that point, we'll have a better idea of if Indiana's been able to get an important victory, and if the NCAA tournament kind of seems realistic. Uh, but Andy, where are you? I mean, I know we all kind of talked at, at the opening of the season that we thought an NCAA tournament berth, while maybe, you know, not likely, was at least a realistic expectation for what this team's ceiling could be. Have you changed that opinion? Uh, and obviously, you didn't have Indiana in your preseason bracket. Um, but what are you thinking now? Kind of what's your what's your bar for success now that you're measuring Indiana against? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think NCAA tournament is probably a bridge too far um, based a little bit on what we talked about before uh, possible because I think the Big Ten is a little bit more wide open than than we thought. Um, so, you know, for, for me, I think it's continued improvement. I think we've seen continued improvement. And if that happens, that's probably going to lead to a, a record over 500 in the league. And, and that probably isn't good enough to get him in the tournament to say finish 10 and 8. Um, but I think that'd be progress. I think the biggest thing for me is is really while they haven't put it together for a full game stretch, um, I, I think we've seen enough stretch, you know, seen enough little moments where they, they play well. Uh, if they can start to figure out how to string more of those together, I'll, I'll feel pretty good. So I'm going to say, you know, over 500 in the Big Ten, continued improvement, I, I'd feel pretty good about. And that's probably uh, hopefully good enough to get you yeah, maybe even into the NIT, um, some kind of postseason where they can keep playing and really build on that. Uh, you know, Big Ten tournament run uh, wouldn't be terrible. We haven't had one of those in ever i think so um that would be good but i i think the trajectory is okay i'm not i'm not terribly worried at this point even though i don't think the ncaa tournament is something that's likely to happen yeah i think i generally agree uh with what you just said um so you know it, it'll be interesting again i think if indiana can beat notre dame you know that 
makes getting to the NCAA tournament a little bit more likely. So we'll have to see what happens uh, on Saturday. But as of right now, India, I, I pretty much agree with you. Um, let's get to this real quick here from Rob. Uh, especially after this year, who is the true big man you now between IU and Purdue, considering that we had Cody and Noah and Thomas Bryant and obviously have Deron Davis now? Uh, what do you think? Uh, Ryan, let's go to you. Let's see, let's see if we still have you. I know you had some audio difficulties there for a second. Yeah, to pop out for a second of my my with you guys. Looks like you're good. Looks like okay. you're good. Uh, I, jeez, I don't know. I'd still kind of lean Indiana, um, based on history and track record. I I think that they had Caleb Swanigan, who is fantastic. I think Hammonds was was pretty good. I'm not a big Haas fan. Uh, I think he's just kind of tall. I don't think he does a whole lot for you, um, aside from being tall not that there's anything wrong with being tall i carry that mantle over here but i i don't know uh if he's a guy who i'd pick out of all those guys out of all the guys that would that you would think of as tall guys uh big men who've been at those schools i think i'd pick him last um you know i'd pick thomas bryant over him i'd pick uh probably noah vonley over him even though it'd be pretty close um george leach no i george leach is george leach against minnesota George Leach could be at a pickup game and the tallest guy by seven and a half inches, and I would not pick him. Uh, he could go last. That would be my. So yeah, no, I, I think that I think that you, you've still got to stick with Indiana. Though Purdue has done a good job uh, bringing through Big Ben the last couple of years. Yep. By the way, I think that's going to have to be Ryan's new tagline, Ryan Phillips. I don't know if he really does anything for you besides being tall. That was that was Thanks. good. I appreciate that, Jared. You're a real friend. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is from Jared, not me, but another Jared. I'm curious your thoughts on the freshmen to this point. In the preseason, I think a lot of people expected to see Justin Smith excelling and Al Durham taking a bit of time to adjust. Uh, what is it about both of their games that is most influencing their production or lack thereof? And obviously, you know, Justin Smith had some nice flashes early, hasn't been playing as much lately. Al Durham, you know, still getting a lot of minutes, but you know, probably had his worst game of the year against Louisville when he had five turnovers. Andy, you know, your assessment so far of those two guys, and obviously we just haven't seen Clifton Moore uh, play a whole lot, so we don't really have much to say about him. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, nothing really to add about Moore. Uh, you know, I think Justin Smith benefited a lot from Hartman being out early in the season, and and we've seen his minutes dwindle in, in, direct, re, in direct reaction to being able to have Hartman for a little bit more. So, um I don't know that's as much a function of how he's playing as it is having having Colin back. I do think he's continued to be confident, but he's struggled to finish around the rim in some of these more recent games and some of the games against bigger competition. But I think that's something that he'll be able to to build on. And they're able to, because of Hartman, be able to bring him along a little bit slower as opposed to really you know, throwing him uh, right in the mix early on. So I'm, I'm okay with him. Uh, and I think Al, I think it was probably inevitable he had one of those games, but I, I, I'm not terribly worried i think he's been better than better than we probably expected and i don't change that thought as a result of the uh you know as a result of the louisville game certainly struggled that's a that's a, a defense against which a number of guys are going to struggle whether they're freshmen or seniors um and so I, you know i don't think he really backed down from from anything i didn't think he kind of went into a shell uh, a whole lot just struggled against their length and, and some of those kinds of things so i'm not too worried about that i think he's going to continue to see minutes because of the defense and uh, and generally taking care of the ball. So I think they've both been probably better than I expected, quite honestly, at this point, um, even though you know the minutes have fluctuated a little bit. Ryan, you watched a lot of tape on these guys coming into their IU careers. Your thoughts on 
Yeah, I, Justin Smith just needs more time, I think, and it just needs more time on the floor to sort of showcase what he's got. I think that what he showed sort of in the preseason and sort of in a few of those early games is his ability to be an exceptional athlete, um, his ability to uh, be a really smooth, heady player. And I just think now that the competition is ratcheted up, it's a little above him and he needs to sort of take that next step and it's going to take some time i mean obviously it's in it's practice every day it's all that stuff plus when you've got a guy like colin hartman potentially taking your minutes away from you that's that's tough for a freshman as for al durham he's far better than i expected him to be at this point i thought he could be a solid you know guard in the big 10 he's been much better his defense has been excellent for the most part offensively he's been far better than i thought of course he's had some stumbles as, as andy mentioned um but at the same time, I did not expect much from him offensively this year, and he's he's been better. Yeah, no, I, did, I didn't either. I don't think a lot of people expected much from Allen. I think the big thing for him is just his maturity. He's very mature uh, for a freshman, you know, typically makes very good decisions, and Archie can trust him, and he plays hard, and that's why, you know, he gets out there and has, has been getting a lot of time on the floor. All right, well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to ever see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, Join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.